Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast. I'm your host, Camry Widmer, and joining me today is college rodeo athlete and RodeoKids.com employee, Maddie Lass. The two of us are so excited to have the opportunity to speak with two world champion tie-down ropers and overall elite athletes, Larry D. Guy and Donnie Taylor. Donnie is also a mental performance coach and author of the book, Heart of a Champion, where she shares her personal journey of self-discovery, overcoming life's obstacles, and the steps she's taken since she was a young girl to become a world champion tie-down roper on the Women's Professional Rodeo Association at the age of 52. So let's jump right into this podcast, and we hope you all enjoy the listen. I want to take a quick break during this awesome podcast with Donnie Taylor and Larry D. Guy to make an announcement about the new groundbreaking event coming to Fort Worth, Texas during the American. The National Western Youth Convention will be held on March 5th, 2021 in the Fort Worth Stockyards. The NWYC is a fun-filled, educational, career-building event where youth across the country will come together to learn from some of the most respected companies and individuals in the Western industry. You can find more information and registration for the NWYC under the Advancement tab on RodeoKids.com or type in RodeoKids.com backslash NWYC in your search bar. This event takes place the Friday of the American Rodeo, so pack up the whole family, drop the kids off at the NWYC Friday morning, go check out the stockyards, and then you can attend the rodeo on Saturday and Sunday. It's a great opportunity for the whole family. Well, Donnie tells that better than me. Okay. Well, I mean, I knew of Larry D for a really long time, and I would go to Troy Pruitt's to practice, and and Troy and Larry D, they did a school together. I, I think at Goodwell, maybe. And, you know, I'd go to Troy's and he's telling me about Larry D and how she, you know, she worked with the breakaway girls. And Troy would tell me about about Tommy, her, her brother. And, um, you know, he rodeoed, you know, Tommy, her brother's been to the NFR. And, um, you know, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, someday, someday I'm going to, you know, I hope I get to meet up with her and and uh, I would see her at some of those WPRA ropings, and and I would say hi, you know, just hi, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, larger than life. I mean, that's how I saw Larry D, larger than life. And we're, we're at the women's finals in Texas, like 07. And I write about this in my book. I didn't know how to get out. And I'm, I'm, I'm really worried and nervous about it. And I'm calling Troy, and he says, well, I'm not there. I can't help you get out. He's like, who else is there? And I'm like, well, I don't know. And and he's like, well, is Larry D there? And I'm like, well, yeah. And he says, go ask her. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. And he's like, go ask her. <laughs> He'll tell you. And I'm like, no, uh-uh. And he's like, just go ask her. And I'm like, that's uncomfortable, Troy. I can't do it. And finally, he just, he lays it out and he's like, go ask Larry D. He gets real direct with me. And I'm like, all right. So I run her down. I see her. I'm nervous. My heart's beating out of my chest, like I'm going to rope something. And we get to visiting and gosh, she was so kind and so generous. And she's like, you know, let's watch a couple tomorrow. It's going to be tomorrow. We're not even roping today. She's like, let's watch a couple and we'll figure it out. That was my first real interaction with her. And then when I had the opportunity to go to her school in 2013 in Cheyenne, 
wow, I was so fired up, pumped up to go do it. And from then on, the relationship, it, it, it just evolved. And uh, it's, it's just transformed my life. She's, she's empowered me. That's just awesome. And I have heard similar stories. Um, you know, Larry, do you definitely have created a name for yourself in the industry? You know, just that presence. I remember in high school, I had a teacher and he was my ag teacher. And like, when you walked into his room, you just knew that he was somebody that you wanted to be around and that you just had respect for. And it takes a long time to build that reputation, but clearly you've done a good job of it. Well, I appreciate well, that. So let's backtrack a little bit. So Larry, you have created this reputation and, and you've done a lot for the industry. Where did you get started? You know, I, I grew up on a ranch in Abilene, Texas, and I've been very blessed. Um, my mom and dad, um, we have a family ranch here, 10,000 acres, and I've had every opportunity to take advantage of, I guess. I mean, we've had, you know, all the calves and stuff we wanted to rope. I've, I've had major opportunities, and I owe it all to them, you know, for what, what they provided for my brother and I. And you know, my dad, he, he taught me all the basics and all the mechanics of roping. And, um, you know, I'm really good friends with a lot of people that rope really, really good. And, you know, and I, I have chances to rope with those kind of people. And, you know, my mom, she never roped. Um, she always ran barrels. She probably helped me as much as anybody because she would see things that maybe the people that rope didn't see. I mean, she would suggest things and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's right, mom. And then I would think about it a little bit and I thought, you know, she kind of saw something that, you know, was really there. But my mom and dad have been, you know, major influences. My brother, he made it to the NFR, I think in 93 in the calf roping and three years older than me. And so I grew up roping, you know, with someone that roped really well and, you know, was older that I, uh, you don't say compared to, but I got to, you know, kind of, kind of see what level I was at by watching where he was at and, you know, yeah. get better like that. Well, they always say that, you know, you're only as good as your best competition. And if you're competing in the practice pen every day, friendly competition with your brother, I mean, how much better can it get? Exactly. Did you guys ever fight in the arena? I would answer that is when do we not, or when do we not? <laughs> you know? So you guys still rope together? Um, yeah, actually now he's got a son that's eight years old. Well, I guess he'll be nine this year. And my brother and I don't fight anymore because we don't deal with each other. But I, I get to I get to help Tegan every day or ever so often his son. And man, that's awesome because I uh, he's such a good kid and so respectful yeah. and really listens and tries to get better. And so it's been kind of cool that of all the fighting and bickering that my brother and I did that now family gets to kind of come together, the, you know, the grandson or his son or whatever. What led you to starting the clinic? You know, it was kind of a <clears throat> funny story, but a rodeo coach named Bob Doty, he coached at Snyder at West Texas College, and then he ended up coaching at Tarleton State University. And I was actually going to Vernon at the time, and he was at, at uh, Snyder, and he asked me to come to a clinic for his girls. And I think I was 17 years old. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And I went over there and I did it. And I had some women, like older women, like literally my age now that were there. And I had some little bitty kids. And then I had some, you know, the college girls, high school girls. And 
it was just so cool the the way that you know all the girls wanted to learn to rope and there wasn't a lot of girls back then that roped really really good mm-hmm. a lot of girls rope good but i mean like nowadays they all rope good and yeah. um, it was just it was just cool to see how much learning that they wanted to do and and it was neat to see how much information i could give them and help and you know watching yeah. them grow and i thought man i think this is something that i would really want to do you know when I went into college I thought being a teacher was not something that I would want to do and anyway long story short it just kind of grew from there and I started doing a couple a year and then it grew to 10 to 15 a year now so it's just watching the growth in women and in the sport is it's just crazy how far women in roping have come Oh, it has evolved. I mean, even in goat tying too, I was a big goat tire in high school. And uh, between those two events, I mean, it has just changed so much. You know, it, it's amazing and it, it's awesome. The sport needs it. And I think it's revolutionary. And I, I think it's going to keep getting better and better, which is great for all of us. Oh, man, I do too. I, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and he's got a daughter named Josie Connor. and She ropes really, really well. And there's about four or five more of those kids that all kind of run together and they all, they all rope so good. And Mm -hmm. it's just, we were just talking about that group of girls that they're going to all be up here at the state finals this week coming up in Abilene. And it's going to be, it's almost like watching the NFR in the Capro, but I go up here and watch these girls. It's going to be pretty cool to watch them compete. And it's even that much more fun, you know, when you've had a little bit of a part in their growing and getting better. And uh, we do lots of clinics here at our place in Deep River, too. And, you know, when you see those kids that have put the work in, you know, they spend two, three days with you and then kind of keep in touch. But it's that two or three days that maybe makes an entire difference in how how they do everything. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, Donnie, how did you get your start? Well, I grew up in Rapid City. South Dakota and always had a horse and moved up through the play days and 4-H and high school and college and did it did all of that and I me too I I'm, I'm with you Cammie I, I was goat tying that was my event I knew I had done the work in that goat tying and I had me a skill set and that's where I had a lot of my success the roping I really struggled with that for a really long time I I just wasn't very good at it. After college, I jumped into the, you know, the work field. I worked for the Internal Revenue Service and life happened and, and I didn't rodeo for a really long time. And then after I, I remarried, I married Stan and, and had my first kiddo. Man, that desire in my heart, it just bubbled up and Stan's like, man, let's get you a horse. It, it took off again. So even after that break, even after a 10, 11-year break, I still had that that fire in me, and and I took off. I didn't take off on fire like women, but but I started entering and started practicing and, you know, remembered why I loved it the way I did. At what age did you really start to go after this breakaway and calf broken thing? Well, you know, when I started back in, like, 97, 98, I believe I made the WPRA finals in 1998. That was the first time I made the finals. And Mm -hmm. man, that was, I was so emotional there. I was like, man, like I made it. 
I made it. That's something I had dreamed about forever since I was 14, making those finals. You know, being 14, I mean, 1980, you know, and then finally making the finals, 1998. I was just so elated. And the finals, they didn't turn out the way I thought they would. I missed all three of my calves. I mean, I, I ended up winning the world in 2016. So, shucks. I mean, there's, there's that. It, it was quite a, a journey. And things really started to pivot and turn in the right direction for me when I got hooked in with, with Larry D and went to that first school in, in 2013. And in between all of that, I mean, of course, I mean, I went to treatment for eating disorder and OCD and, and had a couple kids. I mean, there was a lot of life that happened in between there. And I really figured out that I needed to work hard and smart, but I needed to have patience. Yes, I love your story, your book, Heart of a Champion, that I encourage everybody who listens to have a copy of that book because it it's a phenomenal book and you make it so relatable. First, the, the first couple chapters, I thought this is really good. And, and then as I got into it even more, I was like, wow, this this woman isn't just a roper, um, but she's got a story to tell and a lot of life that happens in between because we hear stories and success stories and we see people and we talk to them at the rodeo and stuff, but there's so much more in life that goes on outside of the rodeo arena that we sometimes don't realize that even people who are world champions have gone through. You know, we see their success in the limelight, but you know, you telling your story in the book, Heart of a Champion, really allows us to relate to you. I think for me, I don't have children yet, but as a contestant, as a roper, as a business owner, and for parents to be able to read it as a mother, as a, a person who wants to continue to be successful with kids. One part that I really liked in your book, my mom, I'm one of five, and she has one is one who has always gone after what she believes in. She says, I have kids. Kids are not my life. They are not who I am. They're part of my circle and I want to do the best for them and provide for them. But she is a barrel racer still at 65 years old. She's still going strong. So we get her to swing a rope every now and then, but I try to rope on her horse as much as possible. So <laughs> I probably steal some of her limelight in the roping from her, but you know, she just, she's always still gone to rodeos, even though she had five kids. Uh, she's always still put on events and worked her business and my, I'm the only one that rodeos of my five siblings, so or of the five of us. So there's some turmoil there sometimes because they live more in the city and, and stuff like that. And they say, well, you know, such and such as mom did this and such and such as mom did that for them. And you never did that for us. That's what they used to say. And now that they're adults, they say, you know, we really appreciate that you didn't do all that stuff for us because you taught us how to live regardless of if you know, we have kids or not to still be who we are as individuals. And, and I loved in the book that somebody gave you permission. And in the book, you're giving everybody who reads this book that feels that pressure permission to still go after what they believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Tina did give me that permission and that was a gift. And, you know, I was feeling that mom guilt, that mom shame. And she let me know, Hey, you go get your dream. You go, you go do this. You live this way, but I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to fulfill my dreams. And kids, you know, what you do is a lot more powerful than what you say. Words are so powerful. 
but but your actions they carry even more weight so i love i love that story about your mom she's actually been uh the sponsorship coordinator for the wpra she produced the world finals when it was in alvarado we used to have a cajun festival in iowa with 15 to 20,000 people over memorial day weekend and we got a candy factory in the basement and now she makes horsehair pottery so you know without her guidance uh, rodeokids.com wouldn't exist. Um, I own another company called the Performance Pony Company, but her teaching me how to live with children has opened the door for me to say, well, I can do this too. You know, even when I have a family someday, it's still okay to be a businesswoman and rope and run barrels and do all of that. So I'm very thankful for her willingness to do that as well. And, and I think it's like I said, that it's awesome that you give people permission in your book. Because I think sometimes people just need to hear that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So you were talking about when you went to your first world finals and how you missed your first three calves and it was crazy and how much you've evolved since then. Can you talk about like talk about that experience and, and how you've evolved and how and Larry, I'm sure you have plenty to to include on this on how people can can evolve their their roping and their abilities as they go through the trials. I think a lot of it is mindset and perspective. I mean, that's the big shift between back in 1998 and then starting like in 2012, 2011, 2012, when I started to really gain the understanding of how important the mental game and, and perspective and mindset is. I mean, back in 1998, I mean, I mean, there was just so much uncertainty and confusion and, and I was so uncomfortable and I was I was unorganized and there had a lot of doubt in my mind and there was so much up in the air. You know, you might call it chaos, a lot of chaos. I didn't I just didn't have a plan in place. And the thing is, those things, uncertainty, fear, confusion, all of that stuff being uncomfortable. We're always going to feel that way. We're, we're always going to experience adversity and struggles and challenges. It's coming. We're all going to experience it. And it's, it's how you frame it. It's how you frame it. I mean, I thought my life was over after 1998. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm truly thinking I'm going to quit. That's it. I'm done. And it now those things, man, it's, it's an opportunity to learn. It's, mm -hmm. it's a different perspective. It's like, wow, there's, I'm, I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow from it. I'm going to evolve from it. it it's, yeah. This is going to teach me something. Instead of thinking just the end of the road, heck, it was just the bend in the road. And it's, it's total perspective shift. And our perspective is how we see ourselves, how we see our situation, how we see our world. And we get to choose our perspective. And our perspective, it's super powerful. And mm -hmm. if anything has, has pivoted or changed or transformed, it's been my perspective. And it's super important. And you get to choose it. That's that's the cool thing about perspective. You get to choose it. Larry, what do you have to say about that? You know, I watched Donine for a long time and and knew who she was, and and it was just so cool to watch how what what she did that that no one else did was she knew what she needed, and she went out and got all the tools. She needed help learning to catch the calf around the neck. She needed help learning how to get the bigger calves on the ground. 
and to tie them correctly. She knew that she needed, a, you know, a mental game coach. She knew that she needed, you know, help with that. She said, you know, there was confusion and, you know, I wasn't organized and that, like all this kind of stuff. Well, she knew what tools that she needed to make her the world's champion. And she went and got those. And what so many people don't do, I feel they, they set back and they just think that it's going to be handed to them. And you have to go and get it. That's what Donine did. The way that y'all see her now, she was not like that. She she wasn't like that. She was real quiet. She never said anything. It's like she said when, you know, Troy made her come talk to me. That was hard for her to and yeah. And now it's not hard for her to do. She knows that she has evolved and done all that because she made herself do these things. And I respect her so much because she told me one time, you know, she said, I, I was telling her, I said, You're you know, you're the freaking world's champion cap rope. I was giving her a big pep talk right after she won the world. And she said, tell them how you said it. You said, I have average skill, but phenomenal will. And I did everything that they didn't do. Yeah. And that's how she did it. I mean, she, she didn't think that, you know, that she is the greatest roper or greatest whatever, but she went and did the things that the other girls didn't do. And by doing those things and getting those tools, she became the world's champion calf roper and is a world's champion. So cool. And I, can you say that quote one more time for everybody? Tell them Donnie what you said. <laughs> well, I, I mean, and it's in the book too. I mean, I mean, I, uh, I, I have, average skill just average skill I, I am not the best roper but 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 I did the things that no one else is, was willing to do you know average skill phenomenal will that's how I got to you know that's that's how I was able to win my my championship and yes. and I did do other things that that a lot of girls didn't do I mean I I'm you know can't can't say for certain but I mean I wrote my dummy Four different times throughout the day. Yes. That's how I did it. I mean, in the morning, after I fed, I did it before I saddled to go rope. I roped it again after I roped. I would go out before I went to bed and roped it again. That's when I turned the lights off and rope it in the dark for feel. And then I'd go to bed and I'd visualize it. And I visualized a few different times throughout the day. I mean, I really took it. I really believe I, I took it to a, to an elite level of how hard I worked on it. And I knew not everybody was doing that, but I was okay. It's what I needed to do to be right. competitive. That's what counts. You got to do what you need to do to be competitive. It's not, well, well, that person doesn't work that hard. Well, I see them doing this or, or acting that way. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. It's your journey. It's my journey. And we get to choose our path. And we get to choose our effort, our, our energy that we that we put into it every day. That's what and matters. I think, I think it's important to remember, too, when, when we get in situations where we see people who it does feel like, well, they didn't work as hard as I did, but... Maybe that what they've been working on is their mental game. Maybe they have the physical ability, but they don't have the mental ability. So 
maybe when you don't see them or you don't talk to them, maybe they're at home reading books like this and, and making lists and writing down goals and, and maybe working with a coach like you did. And we don't see, it's, it's so important to remember not to judge how people got there because nobody sees what happens behind closed doors or that maybe they do go out and rope their dummy before they go to bed. But you're only responsible as a contestant and as, as a person after a goal, you're only responsible for what works for you and how you get there and, and nobody else, you know, it's not up to you how they do it. If, if it works for them, great. That's none of our business. And that's what she said. You, you don't compare yourself to anyone, you know, it's, it's your journey and it's just, you know, it's what you have to do to get to, you know, to get there. I'm, I'm one of those people that um, I wrote, I rope a lot of calves or a lot of steers or whatever every single day. I have to work hard at my craft. I do. And I do study the mental game and I have to work hard at that. I mean, you know, there's, it's just, it's, everybody has their own way of doing it. And, you know, there's some people that don't have to rope very many calves and, you know, don't have to study the mental game and all that. That's them. You know, it's, it's you, you know, you just keep your mind on you and, and your journey and that's how you get to where you want to be i agree you talked about the word elite i, I heard you say that earlier and in the book um you, know, you talk a lot about your elite circle can you tell about your elite circle and how do you develop one of those for somebody who's just getting started or who's at a level that you know they they've got the basics and the fundamentals but they have a goal like you did how do you go about developing that elite circle well, I think your, your elite inner circle are the folks that influence you and help support you and help encourage you and help hold you accountable. And before I had like Larry D and Brian Kane and Scott Cormos and Troy Pruitt and, um, you know, and, and now I, my, 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 my circle's getting a little deeper and a little broader even. I mean, my elite inner circle was Les Brown. Tony Robbins, Renee Brown, authors, people I was listening to, those people, I included those people in my elite inner circle because I was, they were very influential for me. And, and I wasn't, I, well, they didn't even know it. And, and I mean, I was listening to those folks. But it was more than listening. You know, a lot of folks, they listen to the podcast. They read the book. That's great. But how do you implement? What do you take from it? And then what do you do with it? What do you do with it? After you read the book, what do you do with that information 24, 48 hours after you read the book? That's what's important. After you listen to the podcast, what are you doing? Are you listening for entertainment? Or are you reading for entertainment? Or are you listening? Are you reading for education? If you're looking for entertainment, you're not going to get a you're not going to get much of a, a return on that investment. But if you're if you're doing it for educational, you're taking notes. You're thinking, wow, that's good. How can I implement that? How can I do that? When I hear Les Brown talk or Eric Thomas talk, I'd be like. Wow, double down. He talked about double down. All right. Hmm. That's cool. That sounds cool. But like, hmm, how can I double down? Where am I going to double down? What does double down even look like? 
I may even Google double down. I didn't quite know what it even meant when I first heard yeah. it. But I thought, ooh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. And what How does cool? that mean? That means, that means, like, Larry, do you tell you what that means? A little on the <laughs> table, right? I mean, I mean, you're, you're pushing your chips in, right? You're pushing your chips in mm -hmm. and you're going all in and, and you're given double, double effort, triple effort. You're, you're given that extra energy. You're doing that extra, right? What's the difference between ordinary and extraordinary? Extra. Extra is the difference between someone being ordinary or extraordinary. I mean, it's, it truly is implementing and, and having the folks come into my circle, that took, that took a lot of time. That took a lot of, and, and it took time because, because trust just doesn't happen. I mean, you earn that trust. Trust isn't just given. You have to earn that trust. It takes time to, to develop that, that relationship. It was getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I was excited to go to Larry D school, but my heart beat the whole time, like really fast. <laughs> I was uncomfortable, but I, I stepped into it and I did everything my mentor said to do. I followed it to the letter. I have fun with Larry D saying, man, she could have said, she could have said something really goofy. I would have done it. I was going to. Yeah. I was going to trust her. I was going to do everything she said. And I think when your mentors see you do that, gosh, she did that. She's working on that. You know, maybe she don't got it yet, but she's, she's going to get it. There, there, there's no hard work. She, she doesn't have lack of, of, of effort or hard work. It was a process. It really was a process. And like how I found, you know, my mental performance coach and how I find different coaches. Sometimes I... I, I Google it and then I, I do the research. I talk to them on the phone, build that relationship. I've had coaches, like when I wrote the book, I've had some coaches come in and out of my life. You know, I kind of outgrew them and needed to get a little higher level coached. I mean, it was a process. It wasn't a one and done. It was total evolve in that circle the whole time. But it took, a, it, it took time. It didn't just happen. I mean, that's, it's a years, years. Live in your principles. I mean, Larry D knows she can trust me. I know I can trust her. Lots of courage. Yeah, it, it is. And when you do what they say they, they ask you to do, when you do what you're asked to do, man, I, I don't know, I can't speak for Larry D, but that, that had to have made an impression on her that I did what she asked me to do. Oh, and that's the main thing. If, if somebody comes to you like, Donnie did and, and you see the effort and you see the try and you see the will to want to learn and get better it's simple I mean you take them in right away and you know the roles reversed I mean you know like Donnie helps um, Hope Thompson lives here with me and she helps both of us um, with our mental game but when you know when she sees the will that you know we want to get better at it and learn more and all that then the more and more information gets given to us. And, you know, like, I feel there's no one that knows the mental game more than Donnie Taylor. I mean, she learned it from ground zero. And, you know, like, talking about podcasts and stuff like that, there's a lot of those people that I that I might listen to and I almost just turn it off because it's almost like they're just kind of telling you what you think 
what they think they need to tell you. But when Donneen tells you something, she studied it. She knows why she it's it's just totally different. And it's just cool to know that she went from one of those people trying to find that, you know, inner circle to make her better. And now she's the one of the elite circle that people pursue and, and need her in their circle. It's just uh, it's it's just really neat to see how that happens. That's awesome. I know that they definitely develop it. And as we grow, you, like you said, your circle's going to change and, you know, you, you're going to evolve. That circle's going to evolve and start with a, somebody to teach you the basics. And then you go to, to clinics and to mental performance coaches to help you get to the next level. Because every level, you need to level up with who your people are, too. But in developing uh, an elite circle and when you have a circle, there's going to be things coming at you at all directions, too, with other people who who talk about it but don't want to don't want to do the work. How do you separate that and, and still be kind to people and choosing that circle and then maybe excluding some people from it that that don't do the work? How do you do that? You mean you mean like as a coach? Is that where you're as a coach, as a competitor? I think you always have a, a heart posture of compassion and kindness and encouragement and empathy. And you, you never know, you never know a person's journey. I mean, you never know where they're coming from. Just like Larry D. I mean, I know what she thought of me that first school. She told me and I was very, I mean, I'll tell you, she thought. <laughs> <laughs> And this is, I, I mean, I love it. And I mean, I love this. Okay, so so here's the deal. She, she, this is how, this is her interpretation of me. She thought, she thought Stan, she didn't even know Stan, but she thought my husband whooped up on me. She, she thought Stan, she thought I was a battered woman. I mean, you picture that. How do you think that would look? Some, like a whoop pup, right? Tail between her legs, you know, coward, sink back, you know, real, real timid, real, real tense. I mean, that's, and now, I mean, then she's like, man, when I met Stan, I felt, I felt kind of, I don't know if she felt bad, but, but she's like, yeah. oh man, I, I kind of got that wrong. I got know? that all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and we giggle, you know, about it. Cause Stan, he's, I mean, if you read about Stan in the book, he, shoot, he's just, just a hero, you know, just a rock, just a rock star. And, but to let you know, that wasn't me. You know, I mean, that that was me, but I had so much more inside of me. I had so much more inside of me than than how she saw me. And if she would have just wrote me off right there, but she wasn't going to do that. She wasn't going to do that. I, I don't think we, we write people off, but I, I think as a coach, I'm planting seeds. I'm planting seeds and maybe not even a seed planter because I think I think we all have what we need inside of us. We all have everything we need inside of us, but we may need the strategies. We may, we may need to put in more time, more effort in order to get the results we want. And I think my, my position, you know, as a coach is to have the heart posture of kindness and compassion and encouragement. And, and, and it takes courage to call them up to have that tough love. Um, but to know that those folks, they have what they need inside of them. And, and I'm going to help them tap into it. I'm going to help them to tap into it and bring it up, bring it up to the outside, bring it to the outside with the strategies, giving them the support they need to put in the time and the effort. 
Some folks, they just don't fit your inner circle. Maybe they, they bring negativity. Maybe they bring gossiping. I mean, I don't know if this is where you're going with this, Cami. Maybe they bring in um, blaming or complaining. Or mm -hmm. they, they have that poor, pitiful me. Why me attitude. Man, you know, we, we can't, we don't want to have that in our inner circle. But it's not our job to change them. But you can keep being the light for other people and keep bringing the, you know, keep bringing the positivity, keep, keep bringing the, the owning every last bit of your life and not blaming and complaining. You can be the example for those people. Mm -hmm. but, I love that. That's great advice. I, I don't, I don't think we, we, we can change them. I mean, the change has to come from within. Right. But we can I, set the example and, and we can help them tap in to what they got mm -hmm. inside of them. But it's kind of like you, you've heard the, the, the quote, it's a, it's a proverb, you know, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. My gosh, mm -hmm. I've lived that. I have lived that. Troy Pruitt, I mean, he pouring into me all this good stuff and I'm just blowing it off. I'm not, I'm not picking it up. I don't have the skill set to pick it up, but he kept, he kept trying and he kept, kept working with me. He didn't write me off. And eventually, eventually, I evolved. I, I understood where he's coming from. Yeah, different. I love that. He had, a, he had a different mindset. You know, he had a different, he had a growth mindset. I had a fixed mindset. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. I love that all about the, the heart posture. And so I know that posture was another, another thing in your book that you talked about. And, and Larry, I'm sure you had something to do with this too, about your posture physically and you, this is on a horse this is when you're walking when you're talking can you talk about how you presented posture physically in the book when I was reading that I was on the plane and especially because I was on a plane so you know I'm slouched over reading my book and I was like oh yeah I really needed to be more aware of of this posture thing can you talk about that yeah it, it, it's huge and and I wasn't I mean I'll tell you I was aware of it I was aware of it, but you don't know what you don't know, right? I remember we're walking through. We're, we're, we're going to rodeo at, at the Betty Gale Cooper Ratliff. We're going to we're going to rodeo at that Memorial Rodeo down in Durant, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And yep. and uh, aware of it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. And 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 I mean, I get to stay at the casino. That's where Larry D and her tribe stand. And uh, it, it's the night before the rodeo. And I think Hope might have called me or Larry D and, and they're like, hey, do you want to go to the REO Speedwagon concert? And I'm like, man, I already called. Their, their, their tickets are sold out. And they're like, no, we got tickets. And I'm like, of course you got tickets. Of course you got tickets. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. So we go to the, we go to the concert. Now we're going to walk down to the Parrot Lounge to watch the, Roundy, the, the Ronda Rousey fight. And I'm, I'm following these girls. I'm, I'm following. And I'm just like, man, I just don't want to take up any space. But I'm walking. I'm watching these girls walk. And I'm like, man, they're walking through the casino like they own the place. That's interesting. They're not one-upping. They're not cocky. They're not making anybody feel less than. And then I'm, I'm thinking about it. I mean, I'm, I'm processing. I'm like, man, that's how they always walk. Straight spine, shoulders back, eyes up. They always walk that way. They walk that way at their ranch. They walk that way with a purpose everywhere. And then I start working with Brian Kane, and he starts telling me about 
Amy Cuddy's book, Presence, and body language. And that there's, when you have big body language, there's a brain chemistry shift. It increases the testosterone. It lowers the cortisol. It gives you that, it helps you to get in that peak performance state so that you can perform your best. I'm watching Michael Phelps. I'm working with Brian. It's July. It's the Olympics, the Summer Olympics. I'm sitting on the couch with my husband and watching. You know, we're going to watch Michael win another gold. Michael Phelps win another gold medal. And he's standing there with his foot kind of propped up on the peg. He's got his hands on his hips like Wonder Woman. So picture Wonder Woman. Hands, his chest is wide open. I elbow Stan. I said, he's doing the Wonder Woman pose. Stan's like, what are you talking about? And I explained, hey, big body language before he's going to go swim for this gold medal. It's powerful. The mm -hmm. elite athletes, they do this. They know this. There's science that backs it. Amy Cuddy wrote a book about it. Changed my life. I, I needed to practice it. After, after Brian, he's like pouring into me for an hour. Big body language. Yep, 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 yep. I got it. The next morning, I'm walking out to do my chores. And i like, oh, man, I'm looking down at the ground. I'm kind of slothing out there to go feed Chester. I was like, I'm going to change everything about it. I practiced it. I practiced it doing laundry, cooking dinner, going to the store. I needed to practice. I couldn't just flip the switch and do it when I was going to compete. I needed to be comfortable having that big body language. And it's not one-upping. It's not arrogance, not cocky. It's putting yourself in that state so that you can perform your best. I like that. As a competitor, that's super important. Obviously, you've got to have that, and it does trigger that that mindset. And we'll talk a little bit more about you know how you, all the the A to Z things that you think and those trigger thoughts. But I want to say I, I think it's really important for parents to consider their posture as well when their kids are competing and and the presence that and the energy that they're putting out there as well that you know they need to have the confidence and, and just admit that in their in all their body language and everything that their kids going to go nail that capper or that their kids just going to perform at the best of their ability and that they believe in them yeah i think we watch our parents that's why we give our from ourselves permission to to run down you know, what, what sets us on fire? You know, it, it's walking the walk. We, we can't say, we can't say, we can't say tuck your shirt in if, if our shirt's not tucked in. Right. We, we can't say clean your room if, if, if we have disorganization. We need to walk the walk. Right. I agree. Larry, did you, have you had to work on that or is that just natural for you? Because I've only been around you or, or seen you when it was just pretty natural. <laughs> well, I mean everybody's going to work on it in some form or fashion because it doesn't matter. You know, the most elite athletes get themselves into a situation. And like Donnie says, mental game is when you're not at your best. Mental game is easy when you're at your best. When you're not mm -hmm. at your best, that's when mental game really comes into effect. So when I'm not at my best, absolutely, I still have to work on it. You know, I mean, I got to, I've got to work on every aspect of it because that's when it really comes into play. So I guess the answer is yes. At times I do have to work on it, but you got to know that you are an elite athlete that 
one little thing or a couple little things just don't define your whole career. You know, you, you have to work on your mind and your body as well. Very true. You were talking about your peak performance state and in your book, you know, you've got all kinds of helpful, helpful things that go into to get to that peak performance state. Your secret is in your routine. Maddie, you had a question about routine. Go ahead and ask that. Well, I know when I was in high school, I played basketball and every time I went to shoot like a free throw, I always had the same routine, same thing I did every time before I shot. I was just wondering like what your guys' routines are before you, like when you're backed up into the box or before you go to a rodeo or what that consists of. Yeah, and I and I share real freely what that is in my book. I mean, I, I break it, really do break it down. And, and, and the consistency, the consistency in your routine, that carries over into the consistency of, of, of how you perform. The consistency in which you do things, that really separates, you know, the world class from everyone else, having that routine. For me, I, I, it, it's, I do it the same way, but it, it's more than just a physical routine. It's also what's going through my mind. It stays the same. I, I, I know it's going to stay positive. I, I know it's going to be, it's going to have a lot of gratitude in my mind. It's going to have a lot of process, no outcome in my mind. And when I ride into the box, I flip the switch, Maddie, and I go from thinking to trusting. And I flip the switch by taking a breath. That's how I flip my switch to go from thinking to trusting. And when I back into the box, um, I line my horse up. I'm going to take another breath. And then I have a, a final tip. And that's a feeling. And I break that down in the book. And what a tip is, is that that final thought, that final image, that final, that, that final feeling of what you need in order to perform your best. And it's different for everyone. Mine was the start. Mine was the start. That, that was the reminder I wanted to have. And in developing my tip, I asked Troy Pruitt, hey, what do you do? And I, and I asked others, what do you do? And, and he's like, it's, it's, it's what I want to see for my start. You know, is it they go, I go. Is it you're around the, you're around the gate? And, but it's not that way for everyone. Everyone has their own tip that sets them up to perform their best. But it's that simple. You can see, what am I not thinking? I'm not thinking, don't break out, don't miss, just catch. Man, I hope he doesn't go left. I hope he don't go right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm thinking, ride, ride Chester, bumper to bumper. His nose, cast tail. Feel my tip. Take my hand to the neck. Those are the things I'm thinking about outside of the arena. But in, in the box, it's real simple. The kiss, keep it super simple. And I'm going to trust it. I don't have a laundry list of things I want to do. And I sure enough am not going to tell myself something don't. Because everything you say after don't, that's what your brain hears. Don't break out, you hear break out. Don't miss, miss. Don't hit a barrel, you hear hit a barrel. So you want, to, you want your words to be very positive, very productive. You want to keep taking steps forward in your words. You want to think about what you want to have happen. Think about things you can control, if you think at all. But it's a trusting place for me, that box. I mean, the work's done, right? You can't prepare anymore. The work's done, the hay's in the barn. 
there's nothing else you can do. You can mm-hmm. trust. You can have fun. You can let your hair down. That's when you, you when, that's when you're going to do your best. Yeah, you got to have fun. And if you're thinking about outcome, I got to win. No, you you want to win. I got to catch. You know, this is it. It's now or never. Or maybe, and I'm, I mean, this is for the parents. If your kiddo's backed in there thinking, man, what's going to happen at the trailer if it don't go my way? You know, is there going to be a lot of PGA, a lot of post-game analysis afterward? That really inhibits your kids from not performing their best because they're worried about the ride home. They're worried about what's going to be said at the trailer. They're, they're, they're thinking about, man, if I don't get it done, we're going we're gonna to overanalyze this. It's going to be painful. So that's something for parents to think about. They, yeah, they, they contribute. They contribute to how their kiddos back into the box or run down the alley. Because even if their kiddos don't say something, man, if they know it's coming, if they mm-hmm. know that PGA is coming, it's going to affect how they let their hair down, have fun. We got to be willing to make mistakes. You got to be willing to make a mistake. You can learn from it. If you're tight, if you're overthinking, you're not trusting. Very true. Yeah. Larry, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I don't do as well as she does at it, but that's the, the, the thing that helps me the very, very most is breathing. And I mean, when I go in the, you know, like when I go in the box, I I do the same, you know, the same thing, you know, I have good self-talk. I don't, I don't make, I I try not to have any kind of cluster in my mind. You know, when I ride in there, breathe, I focus on the calf's neck and like my tip is similar to what she says is I want to focus on how I lead, you know, like pacing the calf, leading with my shoulders. Like there's things that I do when I'm sitting there and relaxing in the corner and I take my breaths I know how I'm going to lead. And she, she thinks of the start and it's the same. Mine is the start as well, but I I do it by how I leave the corner. I'm going to pace the calf out. So it's really all the same. And the breathing is so, so important. Yeah. And you, you talk about in the book, it's not just breathing. It's not just taking a breath in and out. There's a certain kind of breath that you take. Can you talk about that? Well, it's breathing in for the count of six, and then you hold the breath for a count of two, and then you exhale for the count of eight. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a six, two, eight. It can be a, it can be a five, one, seven. The, the, the prize is exhaling just a tick longer than the inhale. When you relax, it relaxes your body. And like Larry Deal say, I mean, pretty all her schools, that that horse can can feel a mosquito on his butt. Do you think he cannot feel, you know, your butt get tight or or your heart racing? You know, our horses feel that too. And when we relax, our horses relax. And when our horses are relaxed, it sets us up for a lot better go. That that breath, there, there's there's a lot different other types of breaths that, you know, that I coach. I mean, it's not one and done. It's like, well, the 628 didn't do anything for me. There's others. There's box breathing. There's four by fours. There's five by fives. There's triangular breaths. There's different breaths that you can use. And it's, 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 it's kind of like a, kind of like a buffet. You get to, you can try different breaths to see what works for you. 
Mm-hmm. And but that six two eight, I write about it. I like it because when you when you breathe in deeply and you ex- you fill up your lungs with air and you expand your diaphragm, that triggers your heart to slow down. That tells your heart, hey, slow down, and that helps you get your heart rate kind of more in check, and it it helps to lower our blood pressure. The breath, the breath, it it can change our brain chemistry. Y'all are working on it right now, aren't you? I am. I am working on it. <laughs> I I'm, just asked her. I said, "Are you thinking about it right now?" <laughs> I, I was oh, practicing which one I did. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Which and, one do you do, lady? I'm about a five one seven. Five one seven. Yeah. I've been working on, and I've been since I read that. I've been kind of trying to think about which one. I would use. I haven't competed since I finished the book, but I I've been practicing how I go in the box and trying to make a routine and visualize what I'm going to do if I was at a rodeo and, and trying to build that consistency in myself and my horses, so we both know what to expect, no matter where we're at. Yeah, and I write about it. I mean, when when I'm working with Brian, he's like, "What's your routine?" Uh, you know, and it I, I really didn't have one. It was a little different if it was a jackpot or, a, or a, a more prestigious event. My routine shifted and changed. And he's like, man, if you cannot tell me your routine, if you, if you can't tell me your process, you don't have one. He says, mm-hmm. write it down. And I'm thinking, I don't need to write it down. And then I'm thinking, well, I'm paying this guy a lot of money and 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 I don't have what I want yet. So I took some note cards to the barn with me, me and Chester, we're riding in and out of the barn, in and in and out of the box. We're we're, we're right. I'm writing it down. I'm figuring out. Ooh, okay. This is where I can take a breath, and you know, this is what I'm going to tell myself, and and this is what it's going to look like. And I'm, I'm making notes, and and I do write it down. And I'm so glad I did. It was a game changer for me to have that solid routine because what that routine does is. It gives you comfort. It's what you go to. And a routine isn't checking off the boxes, but it's what you go to when you have distractions, noise, mm-hmm. drama, chaos. That's what you go to. Yeah. When you are training horses, and in Larry D, I'm sure you ride all kinds of horses that, you know, you can't have the same exact routine. I mean, you can get there eventually. But when horses are acting up or when you're just training them and you're, you're teaching them about that box, are you looking to have the same routine over time on every horse or do different horses need different routines? You might need Donnie to answer after I answer, but like I do, I ride probably 10 different horses a day and I may ride colts, I might ride a good horse, whatever, but my routine doesn't start until I breathe. I mean, when I'm, whatever I'm doing outside the box or riding in, turning around, I'm not real set on how I turn around, how I do things, but you literally do things a lot the same. I mean, when I back my horse up, I back them up the same. When I cock my rope, I cock my rope the same. Like you literally do that because that's just how you do things. But mine starts, you know, whether I'm at home or at any rodeo or jackpot or whatever, I take my breaths, I focus, I know what I'm going to see, and then I leave like I want to leave. Like, I do the same thing every single time. 
but it's, I might have to turn a horse around. I might have to ride him up, back him up. I might have to do, you know, there's things like that that change, but I don't, I don't think of that as anything in my routine. And that's why she might need to answer that. I don't know. Well, I, I think that is part of your routine. You don't, that doesn't blow you up when you need to do that. I mean, it's like when this happens, then I do that. When this happens, I do that. You have a routine. You, I mean, I, I think yeah. that that is, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't freak you out. It doesn't, it doesn't blow you up. And, and one thing that, that you want to remember when you set a routine is what not to have in that routine. No negativity, no, no outcome based thoughts, no doubt, no fear, no, no fussing on the past. Can't, can't control that. No, no, no fretting about the future. You can't control that. It's in that routine. It's present moment. It's right here, right now. Of course, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have some rigidity. We're going to have some structure, taking her breath, cocking the rope the same, but we're also going to be adaptable. We're also going to be flexible. We're dealing with animals, but we're going to know when the calf lays in the chute, we do this. That's a routine. When, when, when the calf isn't standing to the front of the chute, I'm going to ride up and ask them, hey, will you, will you push that calf to the front of the chute? Mm-hmm. That's what I do. I have a routine in place when there's different, when there's differences, when, when things kind of go off the rails or when they mm-hmm. do go off the rails. You have right. a, you, you have a, you have an algorithm. You have when this happens, I do that. When this happens, I do that. That's a routine. Yeah. Just having that mental clarity. Yeah, you're, you're not going to get frustrated. You're not going to be back in 1998 at my first finals where everything's just a cluster and I don't have a plan and I'm I'm just so emotional. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're going to be you're going to get curious about things. You're gonna you're gonna have a plan in place. You're you're gonna stay plugged in even though things aren't happening the way you you expect them to happen. It's okay. There's always adversity. There's always adversity. It's what do you do? Do you do you bounce back? I hope so. But do you bounce mm-hmm. back quickly? There you go. That's the difference. How quickly do you bounce back? And that takes practice. I tease Larry D. I mean, she she has been places where the first go did not go the way I'm sure she wanted it to go. And she ends up winning the roping, placing high in the roping. I mean, good things happen. And I'm like, man, you really rallied back. And she's like, yep, yep. And you know how Larry D learned to rally back? She needed to rally back. She needed to have that adversity where she needed to learn how to rally mm-hmm. back. She did. Larry D wasn't born knowing how to rally back, how to, how to fight her way, claw her way back up. She learned it. And that's mental toughness. We aren't born mentally tough. We learn mental toughness. I love that. You know, having to take those situations and learn from them because that's preparing you for the next time you do have to rally. Yeah. All right. Well, we're getting down towards the end of the podcast. So I know you do the coaching. Um, Can you talk about what, what that means as the coaching services that you offer um, and how to, how to access that? Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. My phone number's in the book. You can, you can reach out to me, you know, through my email. I mean, what it looks like working with me is I use Zoom, which is a video 
video coaching. And uh, I love that because we can see each other. It's, it's like what we're doing here where, you know, we can see each other, we can interact. And coaching with me, I, I bring something really different because you, you get that, you get that feedback from me and that feedback, hey, it's fuel. It's fuel. And I coach from my car, from my heart. I'm honest, but from my heart, honest, we cover a lot of different topics. We cover confidence and routines and imagery, visualization, um, mm -hmm. releasing poor performance. We cover focus, self-talk, you know, shift perspective, practicing, getting off the emotional roller coaster. We're going to coach all of that. But you bring, my, my clients, they bring what they're struggling with as well. Mm -hmm. And we solve their pain points and help them get solutions so that they have the tools so that they're empowered. I'm all about empowering you with the, with the strategies because that's what Larry D did for me. Mm -hmm. He empowered me with, with so much and helping, helping me to find my voice. And like I say, we, we do it over Zoom. I provide resources to support the coaching. I get a lot of joy from it. It's a lot of fun. It's transformational. I don't plug in these strategies like outside of the arena, but I'll tell you, it just mm -hmm. spills into other aspects, school, work, relationships, mental performance. It's not just in the rodeo arena. It spills into everything. Just like Maddie, you talked about your your basketball, your free throw routine. It spills into everything. And it's uh, I'm on Facebook and, and Instagram at Donnie Taylor. And it's Donnie Taylor at gmail.com is my email and real flexible. I, I start them at six in the morning and, and I'll and I'll go into the evening if, if it's whatever works best for my clients. And we can add that information in the footnotes also on how to get a hold of Donine. And Larry D, you do lessons in clinics, is that right? I do private lessons here at my house it's in Abilene, Texas, and I do clinics. I try to do, I mean, it's it just depends, but say 10 a year, and I kind of travel all over. Like you said, you and I have been talking about Iowa and stuff like that, and I kind of travel all over and try to see where I can do them and I'm the same way, Facebook, Instagram, Larry D. Guy. I'm real easy to find, and I usually have Hope Thompson helping me at the clinics as well as here at the house on the private lessons. And all of my schools include Donine, um, whether she can come or we get her by phone. We do a lot of mental, mental talking. We usually talk sometimes at least twice, sometimes four times clinic you know, depending on what the, you know, the people need there. I think that's what helps. I bring a lot of information to my students, you know, basic. I just tell people that if you do basics better than everybody else, that's what makes you the best. And um, I bring people the basics. And, you know, what sets my clinics apart from everyone else is Donnie. I'm bringing her in. It, you know, it's everybody's mindset, the right place, and gets people you know, willing to um, be open-minded enough to learn. So kind of what I do. Yeah. And they can send you a message and get a hold of you for a private lesson. Or um, if you're having a clinic, where can they find a schedule? When I get a schedule, I try to post it on 
Facebook or Instagram. A huge thank and you to Donnie and Taylor and Larry D. Guy for taking the time to talk to all of us today. Of and a shout out to Abby Barnes for organizing this podcast. If you haven't gotten the book right yet, away. I highly recommend so going online or to your local bookstore to find Heart of a Champion by Donnie Taylor. Please leave a comment, send us an email, or even better, share this podcast on your social media networks to help us grow the RodeoKids.com podcast and let other people know about all this awesome information that we gained today. Good luck to everyone and safe travel down the road. That was awesome. Thank you ladies so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. I love what you're doing and I love your heart, Tammy. I just, I love your heart.